So I mentioned we begin our journey, our Advent journey, our journey to Christmas. Our focus this for these next few weeks, Lord willing, to be able to share this series together, has to do with the unique circumstances surrounding the birth of Messiah's forerunner. I'm talking about the one who was born to be the prophet of the Most High, um, the preparer of the way, John, the son of Zechariah the priest, the one who will later be called John the Baptist. An often overlooked piece of the whole Christmas account in the Gospels is something that takes up a significant chunk of the early portion of the book of Luke and has everything to do with the miraculous birth that is connected to the birth of Jesus. It's the birth of John. And there's so much there for us. The account of John's birth and the way in which God interacted with his father, Zechariah, was intended to prepare us for the most pivotal moment in human history. We're talking about the birth of Jesus. Concerning the birth of our Savior, of the Savior, I've put this in your handout. You can follow along if you have your Bible, your Bible app. But in Hebrews 1, great, one of the great books of the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, that intertwines backwards into the Old Te Older Testament. And, and it's in the book of Hebrews where you realize how much is interconnected between the old and the new. But when it opens up that first <laughs> in Hebrews, and, and again, you can see it here as well, in Hebrews 1, look how it opens up. I mean, long ago, at many times and in many ways, sundry times, diverse ways, the older version says, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. Talking about the Old Testament prophets. Think about some of the names in the Old Testament: Zephaniah, Isaiah, Jeremiah. You get to, you get to live Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, the final one, Malachi. You see the different prophets that are named. Uh, it says Jesus, you know, God spoke to them, but God spoke. The writer says God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but but in these last days, He has spoken to us by Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. So, <clears throat> I want us to understand this. The one whose birth we're looking at, the prepare of the way for Jesus. John is the last of the prophets. And according to this, Jesus is the first of a new kind of communication from God, right? If I, to use our vernacular, we might say Jesus is God's spoken word. His spoken word of love and the one upon whom all creation hinges. Now, as a historical reality, there could be no debate as to whether or not Jesus of Nazareth affected the, uh, the world. Friend and foe acknowledge uh, some grudgingly that you can't really deny the historicity of Jesus. His reality, the impact he's had, the way in which the world has been altered the entire emergence of, of not only our nation, in a sense, is connected at its root to Western civilization, which is connected to Christ. It's just things are all intertwined. The irony being that the message of Jesus extends itself into every corner of the world, every tribe, every nation, every tongue. He is interpreted, his reality is interpreted in every culture of the world. And there is no one people group who can claim exclusive rights to him. He is the savior of the world not of a particular part of the world. In that regard, you'll notice that I put a couple of different things in your handout there. These are sayings that um, 
people have attributed to different figures. You see one attributed to Napoleon about his opinion of Christ. <clears throat> see one about from H.G. Wells, a notorious unbeliever, atheist, who had to grudgingly admit that Jesus, in, in as far as his research was concerned, was indeed the center of human history. And then my favorite one from Albert Einstein, you can see there on the bottom, this am amazing man, this creator who still garners significant admiration from anybody who ever has been interested in innovation or brilliance. Einstein uh, wrote, was, was quoted as, and this is what he said about Jesus, as a child I received instruction both in the Bible and in the Talmud, uh, the commentary. I am in the Older Testament. I am a Jew, but I am enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. That's how he describes Jesus. Isn't that so cool? I love Einstein's description of Jesus, the luminous Nazarene. I love that. I've been enthralled by the luminous figure of the Nazarene. No one can read the Gospels without feeling the actual presence of Jesus. His personality pulsates in every word. No myth is filled with such life. Powerful and fascinating to me. Um, what this really does, I had this conversation with someone uh, just last week, a young man we were talking. He was sharing with me a little bit about um, where he's at with his faith, uh, how the culture he, he's surrounded by is in many ways pushing against that faith in, in Jesus. He's wrestling with questions. We ended up coming back to a discussion around Jesus. I said, well, the best place to start probably is with Jesus. I said, one of the real questions is no one, the key question is not whether or not Jesus was a remarkable historical human figure. There's no real debate around Jesus being in this world, uh, that he was a good teacher or a nice man. No one's gonna debate that too much. Um, the real issue is whether or not he was the unique son of God that he claimed to be. That's the bigger question. Is he the one that John, the promised one that John, whose birth we're going to look at, would later declare him to be? If he was only the former, if Jesus was only a nice man and a good teacher who, you know, walked around in robes and had a, had a, a band of people who were very loyal to him and through a series of un, just unusual things was able to garner a following and then out of that following garner a group of people who would ultimately changed the world, and now, literally, there are millions and millions of people who claim him as their Lord. I mean, that would be an extraordinary story. Um, however, if he wasn't who he claimed to be, it would simply be just a, a thing. Uh, it, I can't really say it would matter much, because it really, if, if that's all he was, then one way, we really what we can't claim is that it's, his way is any better than any other way. It's just one voice in a world of many voices, none of which can answer the questions of life. In the, if, if Jesus is just a nice man and a good teacher, then essentially, as human beings, we're just as lost. We have no answers. And we're just kind of lost at sea with no purpose and no meaning. Um, no land inside, if you will. In our lives, no matter how good they may be, and by the way, who gets to decide what is good? How do we know what is good? For goodness to exist, it means there has to be badness. 
For something to be right, there has to be a corresponding wrong. But who is to say what is good and what is right? What voice are we to follow? There are many voices. Again, if Jesus is only a man and a nice teacher, and someone who we kind of warmly cozy up to around Christmas time, then there really is nobody to show us the way. No. It's just a bunch of um, competing philosophies, some religious, some non-religious, none of which are adequate. And the only real value of it, perhaps, I would say, is just to numb us from the pain of our dying existence. The proverbial crutch for the weak, or as Marx called it, the opiate of the people, to numb us to get through an otherwise meaningless existence. Now, I'm trying to say, if that's all Christmas is, then we got nothing. But if Jesus is who he said he was, the unique son of God, God's spoken word, um, then everything changes. Now we have an anchor. Now we have something to define the way. Now we have a light for a path to follow. Now we can choose to accept that or reject that, but Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You wanna know the way to the Father, the Father God, you come to me. I tell you my words, they are spirit and they are life. When he talked about himself, he said, I am the light of the world. I am the light. I am the door. You cannot make those claims and be sane. You're either insane, a, a, a distorted megalomaniac, or you are who you say you are. That has been a critical piece. Now, we're going to sit with that. We're maybe getting a little bit ahead of ourselves, perhaps. But I want to I go back in time to the days before the birth of Jesus, when heaven, as it were, began to rustle with a new movement that would change everything. Winter, as C.S. Lewis said, concerning the coming of Jesus, winter is about to end, right? And again, the story, of, the story of the birth of John, the one that we call the Baptist, constitutes, stay with me, a link connecting the old to the new. It's almost like it's connecting all that has gone before to what, is, what God is doing ahead. The link between all the Old Testament, the Older Testament and the prophets, and Jesus and all that is new is connected by John. John is the last of the prophets and the first to introduce Jesus. He's the connector. His birth has great meaning. So if you can think of it this way, as we approach verse 5, and look in your, if you can with me, again, in your Bible, in your hand out there, Luke 1, verse 5, uh, as we approach it, we must remember that when the Bible turns to this moment, there had been 400 years of silence. There had been no prophet. There had been no, the word of the Lord is this. No one. The last prophet was Malachi. That's also the last book of the Old Testament. And since that time, nothing. Silence. Nothing fresh from God. All they had was a dream passed down from generation to generation of a coming Messiah, their Messiah. Jesus, the Savior would come, but they didn't even know what it all meant. The book of Isaiah foretold of it. The Jewish people believed it, but it had, nothing had happened. There, there wasn't even a prophet anymore declaring the word of the Lord. 
John marks the beginning of a shift. In heaven, only stillness, but then a sound, a rustling in the heavens, a note at first imperceptible, distant, but true, growing, growing. God is on the march. Genesis 2, it is the prelude. The new beginning is beginning. This is what we're talking about. Oh, you say 400 years of silence. Think, I was thinking to myself, that's a long, our nation's barely been in existence over two, 200 years as a nation, you know, barely, right? I mean, just a little bit over. Think about that. That's like our whole existence as a nation. 400 years is actually a long time. Silence. But then God begins to move. No one would have seen it, noticed it. Let's watch what happens. So we begin. Verse 5. In the days of Herod, the king of Judea. Herod was an Idumean, not a Jew. <clears throat> that is, a, is, is, we're getting in the weeds here, but he was a descendant of Esau, not of Jacob. Uh, Herod the Great, uh, as he was sometimes called, he called himself. Uh, he was, you remember... Uh, Esau and Jacob were the sons of Isaac. Isaac, the son of Abraham. The promise of, went to Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel, but his brother Esau. Esau, one of his descendants, was this. He was an Idumean, was a descendant of Esau. So, what am I saying? Herod was a relative, but not a, but not a son of Israel. And yet he was the king of Judea, which is where Jerusalem was, the region that contained it. Israel had not had a king since the captivity centuries before until Herod the Great was able to negotiate, again, the title given to him by Rome. He was able to negotiate through the influence of Antonius and Octavius, um, the ability to be a vassal king on behalf of Rome, keep the peace and have the title. He didn't really care that much about the Jewish people, but he did care about power. And uh, he was supposed to keep the peace. He was a puppet. That's basically what he was. He was so at the time when a usurper sat on the throne, a throne that had been unoccupied for generations, the one true king was born. But let's look at how it starts. Look what it says. And this is the verse. We'll just finish with this verse. It says, there was a priest. Well, there was a priest named Zechariah. We have two more to go. Of the division of Abijah or Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. Her, her name was Elizabeth. This is how it starts. It's a curious way to begin. Now, he was, if we may say it, nothing special. He had a pedigree. Like, he could say, you know, I'm connected way back to Aaron, the first high priest. But the truth is, Zechariah, whose account is going to take up a significant part of this opening movement of God, he, he, he was not the high priest. He... He was only one of thousands of priests, one seemingly insignificant member of one of the many subdivided groupings of priests that ministered in the temple. And again, I'm reminded of how different God's ways are from our ways. And look at verse 6. This is how they're described, Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. Not perfect. But they were good people, good and honorable. They lived their lives with the Lord at the center of them. They, they were people that honored God, right? So that's what, that's what we're being told here. They were, the, they were, they were real and honest and authentic. 
they genuinely believed and they had sought to live a life pleasing to the Lord. And this is the description we're given of them. Zechariah, oh, you know what his name means? And it's not a coincidence. I don't believe. You know what the name Zechariah means? It means the Lord remembers. God remembers. And that is, by the way, everything that Christmas is about. Look what it says in Galatians, that in the fullness of time, look at this, God sent forth his son. When the time was right, God moved. And Jesus entered this world. Time is intersected by eternity at a pivotal moment of God's choosing. And the timeless one engages time. He who is above comes and meets us where we are so that we are where we are. He can take us to where we could never go on our own. There is a sense of, and I've loved, that's why I've always loved the symbol of the cross. Besides the fact that it represents the love of God, I've always seen in that the intersection of time and eternity, God coming into the human experience and giving himself away for us. But it starts with his coming. Christmas is the moment we mark his coming into the human experience that changes everything. And so when we talk about his name, Zechariah, God remembers. And again, I was thinking about him when I was growing up, you know, down from his glory, ever living story, you know, that in the dead of night, not one faint hope in sight. God, uh, tender, I love that. God, ten, God, gracious, tender, laid aside his splendor, stooping to woo, to save, to win my soul. I always remember that. Okay, this season, this is what I want us to do. Because my goal, I'm, I'll, my, the goal is for you to be alive in Jesus. See, I, we actually really believe. That's the difference. I believe he is who he said he is. I believe he changes lives. And he's worth following. That we have meaning and purpose and value and an eternal destiny that goes beyond this temporal existence. That the way we love and live matters. And what Jesus taught us about life means that it actually carries tremendous amount of significance. How we live this life has meaning. And we're not just left to go find our own way. We've been given a way. There's a path. There's a clarity. God has not abandoned us. He has remembered. And this season invites us into something. And I'm going to have them put it up there just for us to sort of sit with. Because in this season this, that we're entering into this month, I want us to remember that this is a season for remembering and being remembered. The remembering is of the Christ who has come, the God who has entered into our time and space. But Christmas is not only a time to celebrate God's coming, listen to me, in a big way into this world and into the human experience. It's also a time to remember that he wants to come to the places and remember us in the places where we are most forsaken and most in need. So in a big picture, yes, we are celebrating the one who remembers, but also he's the one who remembers us. And I, I'm suggesting that he wants to come into the places where we feel most unremembered, most forsaken, most disappointed. He gives us everything we need. You know, we're going to, when we get to the end of the service, we have this, I feel beautiful song. I was actually listening to it 
before the first service when they were going through it. And there was something about the words that hit me profoundly. Like I lifted my hands in worship. And it was something about how he remembers us in our hurt and gives us everything we need. Christmas is about the one who has come, not just to address the need of this world, but listen, to address your need and mine. And that is a very personal thing. Where do we need the Lord most to show up right now? Where is it? And what would that look like? What would it look like to welcome him into these places? Whether it's a place, remember, this is what I say. Our place of forsakenness is also our most amazing grace space. So our places of forsakenness can be our most amazing grace spaces. Right? This is what the Lord can do. He'll show up in the places. I don't know where it is. Are we not at peace with something? Is something troubling us at a deeply profound level? Are we wrestling with our faith? Are we hurt? Hurt and struggling to come to grips with, sometimes there's a season of tremendous loneliness and we sense of loss. Other people look so happy and filled with joy. And why am I not feeling that way? This is, a, this is, he wants to come into those places. He remembers. He remembers not only the big picture, he remembers us. He wants to meet us there. And part of what I'm going to appeal for week in and week out is to be open to the Lord's touch in our life in, in fresh new ways. And this is, and I'll throw this one at us, that this is a season to nurture expectation for what we believe God has asked us to pursue. That's what Zechariah is going to find himself being asked to wrestle with. For him, this is going to be part of his struggle. God's going to call him to pursue something in faith. He's going to struggle with unbelief. Are there things in our lives that God's calling us to pursue at this time? What, it, what you know, that we're to claim by faith? Um, I suspect and this phrase stood out to me, is that he is calling us neither to a recklessness that borders on presumption, nor a reluctance that borders on unbelief. Neither a recklessness that borders on presumption, nor a reluctance that borders on unbelief. It is very important to engage your faith in more than passive ways. Because Jesus is not worth following. This is going to be a controversial statement. Better be careful what I say. He never intended for us to follow him passively. He intended for us to commit our heart. One way or the other. Some of us can say, I'm content to have a piece of Jesus in my life. I go to church one, two, three times a month, give a little tip here and there, price of a burger. I lose nothing. Whatever, I'm just saying it, okay? Did I insult you? I didn't mean to do that. I didn't, I didn't mean to. I'm trying to make actually another contention is that he's either worth following or he's not. He's either who he said he is or he isn't. He's either the way, the truth, and the life, or he's not. Christmas is either about the coming of God into this human experience, and it changes everything about this world and our life, and it changes what is truly meaningful and important and what success looks like, or it means nothing. 
but nice little warm feelings that are meant to help us get by. I am saying he is who he said he is, and he changes people's lives. It's like I come into it. It's like, like a come, a come in, sometimes you go to a, a, a restaurant, and, and you, maybe you say you were invited to this amazing place with such outstanding, uh, stunning meal. And we, it's ours, but we come in, and we say, you know, I'm just going to have the, uh, oh, this appetizer is so good. And then we, we didn't realize that the appetizer wasn't the whole meal. It was just the appetizer. The meal is ours, but we're not taking advantage of it. We're content with the appetizer. It happened to me once, you know. I went to a restaurant with my wife. I thought the appetizers were the meal. <laughs> I didn't know. And so I just, I filled up on the appetizer. And I, oh, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. She goes, that, that's not the meal. That's the appetizer. You ate the appetizers. I go, really? Oh, wow. Sometimes the following Jesus is like that. People live their entire lives only eating the appetizers. It's true, it's better than nothing. It is, but it's not anywhere close to what he meant it to be for our lives. Are you in? Take up your cross daily and follow me. Do you believe? If you do, come after me. Throw your heart into it. Embrace this. Neither a faith that, that recklessly borders right, on presumption nor a faith that borders right, reluctantly in unbelief. By the way, that's exactly what our church is doing. You know that? You realize that, right? We are pushing ourselves as a people to have faith that is neither presumptuous, but neither is it reluctant in unbelief. We're trying, we hope by faith, to stretch ourselves and to apply what we say we believe. We'll find out real soon. And in the end, we all get to decide, am I happy with the appetizer or do I really want to get the meal? Because it was meant to be full of life. Not a piece, a little piece, but life in God. Wrestling with all the stuff of life, but with meaning and purpose. Last thing I'll say, this is a season to open up our heart to Jesus in fresh new ways. To honor him in silence and in song. Ah... This will be our theme as we sit with a parallel story connected to the birth of Jesus, the miraculous birth of John. It's a time, loved ones, for silence. Listen, stay with me. This is going to produce, my goal is, is life for us in Christ. It, in silence, it means, all I mean by that is spend, spending time being open to thinking long thoughts without the noise. Without the noise. Our year is coming to a close. The season invites us to drop our guard, to be open and wonder. But we'll need, just like the silence is such a part of the story of Christmas, it's there because that's the time we probe into our own heart and we have time to think and ask ourselves questions. Are my, are the way I'm living, is it, is, it, is it revealing a life committed to God? Are the things that I'm pursuing, am I growing? Is my heart in love with the Lord? Do I, have I felt his presence in my life? Have I cried about because of the goodness of God at any time? 
Have I talked about him like someone who loves him and knows him? Do Am I celebrating him in my life in a personal way that goes beyond nominalism, but, but it's open to fresh things? And song, truly engaging song, being open to the new song he wants to sing in, in all of us. What is the song he wants to sing? I, there's a song. Song is everywhere in what we're about to look. It's all over the Christmas account. Song is everywhere. Engage song at this season. Engage songs literally. Sing them. And, and, and let welcome his joy in. And then also ask the Lord for what is the song I'm supposed to be singing at this season in my life? Help me to sing that song well for you. And one of the things I wanted to do, and we've got a lot of things planned to supplement this quest. If it is in your heart to grow and to freshen your heart and soul, then, then we are going to do everything in our power to make that happen in this month. And we decided to, to do a, what we call, okay, remember this? Um, when, when I was growing up, one of the things I loved was, what, I don't know if they still make them, were these like advent calendars? Have you, a Christmas calendar? Have you ever seen them where they would like, they were like, um, Ah, I, no, I'm not even talking about the one that have chocolates in them. I'm talking about just the one. That, like when I was growing up, when I was a boy, the first, I remember I was allowed to open each one up per day as we got towards Christmas. And I always looked forward to that. And, and mine didn't even have chocolate. They just, they, just, they just had like something new in it. And I liked just opening up the, the advent calendar and the Christmas calendar. It, was just felt, it felt good. So what we did was we created a video uh, Christmas devotional for our church, and anybody who you want to share it with, every morning, um, I'm going to, at 6 a.m., if you have our Cornerstone app, you will be sent this notification at 6 a.m., and every morning, something fresh to supplement and stay connected. The goal is to strengthen and to inspire us to build momentum together throughout the season. If you don't have the Cornerstone app, go to the, it's Cornerstone SF, so you got to, you just download it. But this is a way for us to have um, relational connection and to just commit to a very small way of staying open to the Lord. I'm calling it rise and shine. We're calling it rise and shine. The idea is rise up and, and let the Lord's reality and life shine through us. It's just like a little night. It's only 90 seconds. You can do this. You can do this. Right? 90 seconds. Hopefully, it will be a tremendous blessing and will only, it, it will just continue to build momentum for us as we move with each week and celebrate in our hearts an openness to Jesus. That's what I'm, we're contending for. Yes, we are in an in a environment where everyone's searching for something. We're saying we, he is the pearl of great price. Open up. Now, when we close, we're going to close here. A couple of things just to be aware of, because we're also excited about um, Christmas. And we have, we mentioned Christmas candlelight service is going to be at Reardon. Even though it's not totally ready, we're going to try to do it to the best of our abilities and just have everybody come together. So just be aware of that. That'll be happening on the 24th. But the week before is when we celebrate a kind of artistic expression uh, for Christmas. And we're calling that the Behold presentation. And that is happening exclusively here at the Mission Campus. Here's the thing. Because we're trying to coordinate all the people from both who go to both places and, and, and friends and family. You have to go online to get a ticket for, I know, it's like that's the service. But what's happened is in the past, we've had sometimes where so many people came, people got mad at us because we couldn't let them in. We didn't have any more room. 
So this is a way of, of my helping us make sure that everyone, when you bring somebody, they have a seat. So go online or use the app, reserve your seat. Um, we're going to show you over our time of giving. Now again, we still have traditional giving expressions. I did ask you to think about in the coming weeks, giving the dominant giving to the to the to the church's initiative for Reardon. Um, and that for some of you, that's going to stretch you for the first time in your entire life. For others, it will it will be something God prompts in you to give in an, in an exceptional way. This becomes the primary way in which you give. And it, again. Firstly, from your heart, but it might be for right off, I don't know, right off purposes, whatever, but we want you to make it a priority. Here's the thing. We're going to show you as, as we, and I know, again, this sounds like a lot of extra detail, but we're going to give you a little glimpse while we have our offering time here. We're just going to show you a, a, a piece that we're going to actually be performing live in the presentation. And then we'll follow that up with the closing song. So let me go ahead and pray. And so, Lord, I just thank you for all the wonderful things you're doing. I ask that you continue to do them in our hearts. Uh, we love you. We're open. We ask for your blessing. Bless these closing minutes as well. We want to honor you with our art. And we want to do it with sincerity in our hearts. Touch people's lives in Jesus' name. Amen. God. Amen.